TV show, Scarecrow Mrs. King. I'm Jen Peterson, and I'm joined by my friends and podcasters, Lexi Fema and Taya Johnston. Unfortunately, Miranda Thomas isn't able to join us today, but we are joined by two very special guests, Greg Morton and Paul Stout, otherwise known as Jeannie and Philip King. Today, we will all be discussing Season 3's episode, The Wrong Way Home. Uh, like Jen said, we're going to talk about The Wrong Way Home today. It originally aired on December 2nd, 1985, and it had two directors, uh, Winrich Colby, and he directed six episodes of Scarecrow and Mrs. King. The second director was Harvey Laidman, and he directed ten total episodes. The writer is George Geiger, and he was an executive producer for 36 total episodes, and he was a writer for six of them. As far as the guest stars go, we're going to talk about Sam Melville today. So when he was first on Scarecrow and Mrs. King, he played a different character in the episode Murder Between Friends as Glenn Tucker. This time around, and for a couple other episodes, he's going to play Joe King, and he is Amanda's ex-husband. So he actually played Kate's husband another time in The Rookies as Officer Mike Danko. And he was also in the shows uh, Dallas, 18, Fantasy Island, and a couple others. He unfortunately passed away pretty early on in his life in March 1989. One of the other guest stars we'll talk about today is Freddie Chapman, and they played Alma Dennis. And uh, she was a producer for Once Upon a Time, When We Were Colored, based on the book by Clifton Talbert. This was about living black in the South in the time of racial segregation. And Miranda... Uh, actually made these notes. She said, if you haven't seen the movie, it's pretty good, though I think it's a bit watered down compared to the book. The book is always better. Next person is Norman Alexander Gibbs, and they played an Estotian guard. They were a guest star in several familiar shows, Bionic Woman, Hill Street Blues, Lou Grant, and Trapper John M.D. He's apparently also the jive guy in pain on Airplane. And Miranda again said, if you've never seen the movie, Google jive, Google Drive Guys Airplane to see his clip. Or if you don't mind slightly inappropriate and slapstick humor, go check it out. And she noted a fun fact. So he was on the first two seasons of Star Trek, Star Trek Voyager, as a background operations officer, but was never credited. She also mentioned the cab driver, who was played by Dominic Irara. Apparently they're comedian and voice actor, and were most recently in 2017 and 18 in a series called I'm Dying Up Here, which was about the L.A. comedy scene in the 70s. And some of his voice acting credits include Hey Arnold, Rugrats, and Dr. Katz. Or another guest star is Garrett Morris, and they played Assam Ali Shamba, or the Prime Minister in this episode. Um, they were a regular on Saturday Saturday Night Live from 1970 to, or excuse me, 1975 to 1980. And they guest starred on a lot of shows. Some of the ones are Hunter, for you, Jen. She made sure to point that out. Love Boat, uh, Jamie Foxx Show, Psych. Two Broke Girls, uh, MacGyver, and This Is Us. Do you guys remember, I know Lex, you don't watch uh, Silent Live and you weren't alive then, but when Garrett Morris was on there, he was, you know how they always have sign language people on the bottom, like like they have a tiered person, the higher person's up there talking and then somebody down here. Garrett Morris's yeah. character would be like, she said, instead of doing sign language, he's like yelling what she says. And it's so funny. If you can watch the clip, it's so funny. Do you guys remember that? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yes, I do. 
Jerry Morris on Saturday Night Live was hilarious. They had a special, you know, and he was on there. Oh my god, I was laughing so hard. It's so funny. Like you should have seen the set when he was on. So no, when Garrett was on set, everybody was laughing so hard they had to tell him, okay, 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 we gotta get back, we gotta get back. <laughs> but everybody was like, I, I didn't get half the jokes from Jerry. It's but I tell you, I know he was funny because everybody kept laughing. He was yeah. he was a very very funny person for sure. Yeah. I love that skit though. <laughs> He had this some good ones. Two of my favorite shows intersect because Hunter is my other yes. favorite show from when I was a kid, and he was Shorty on Hunter for. Oh, he was a reoccurring episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And then Kieran is okay. All right, and then the last one we'll talk about today is Ray Reinhardt, and he played Byron Foster. One of the shows that is pretty common throughout a lot of the guest stars, actually, and the directors and writer, is being involved in the Star Trek franchise. So in this particular actor's case. He was a guest star in Star Trek, Star Trek The Next Generation. Their first acting credit was actually in 1958 in a series called Decoy, where Beverly Garland was the lead as a New York City policewoman going undercover. Apparently, Miranda was not able to find out much about it. So if anyone, including our listeners, is able to find this, she would love to see it. Uh, so that's all we have for the guest stars today. Thank you for filling in. Yes. Great job, Lexi. Try to make it work. We finally get to meet Amanda's ex-husband, but boy, he sure looks familiar. But I digress. Joe King is a wanted man bringing him back to Washington, D.C., and Lee and Amanda help to clear him. That's great. No, we didn't need Jen to, you know, put it in layman's terms for us. <laughs> that was pretty much layman's terms. Every time I talk with you, you're going to say something about that. <laughs> I'm telling you, they're like brothers you you didn't know you wanted. (laughs) And I already have four that I don't don't really necessarily want. Didn't have a choice. Yeah, exactly. The episode opens with stock footage, obviously, and it's supposedly Astocia. North Africa. It's nothing that we haven't seen all of us growing up with the food coming into the country and starving people trying to get some of it and sharing that that relief that they're getting. But it's definitely very old stock footage. It probably wasn't back then. <laughs> yeah, it was. I. That's my point. It's old stock footage now. That's my point. It looks old even back then. <laughs> so it was even old then. Now, the interesting thing is, and I wanted to ask you guys about this, Paul and Greg, I'm so worried I'm going to call you by your character names instead of your real names that I'm like... <laughs> we actually, we're actually not unused to that. We actually answer to either. Okay, yes. good, good. Good to know. Just in case or, I do it. Iron Man is fine. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I have to get confused for that. Wait, I you thought know, you wanted to be Wolverine, Greg. Uh, well, you know, Thor's better looking. <laughs> What I wanted to ask you guys is when we did the ranch tour, which was that special tour, remember Greg, you were on there. They were telling us that there was an actual house there before and they took, tore it down. They actually used this, the house that was on the set as the Astocian government. And now they don't have that there. Then they built more of a, a house that uh, was a little bit uh, less fancy. It kind of went more with the neighborhood. Do you guys remember that big house in there in in that neighborhood? No. Okay. I was just curious because it looks huge. It's quite grand because obviously it's supposed to look like a social government. They've used it a couple of times. They used it for the school scene in Always Look a Gift Horse in the Mouth as well. So, Taya, are you saying that it used to be on the set but they tore it down? Yeah. 
And they did. So I don't know if you can see it. So that that's the the building. They tore that down and they built more of a more of a contemporary looking house in that neighborhood. It was so when you when you're in the neighborhood and Amanda's is on the right, it was almost across uh, the street further over. We see a gentleman and he's carrying a briefcase and he's walking toward the office of the prime minister. And there's a bunch of people kind of outside trying to stay warm and and then something seedy is going on for sure because somebody gives a signal and then somebody else sees it and goes back inside. And then we see what we now know is Joe King and he's talking with the guard. And then we hear shots fired. And then the guard is shot. And then Joe King kind of pulls him off to the side and grabs his gun. And then another person comes running out and is yelling that the prime minister has been shot. So Joe takes off with his briefcase and then somebody else kind of hidden in the shadows leaves uh, the building kind of sneaking out. Can we point out here that Joe King escapes on a Vespa? Right? Yes. I noticed that. Very, very key importance. And they couldn't catch him? No one had, it didn't look like they had any cars around. They could have run after him. They could have run. They clearly could have run after him. You're so right. Okay. <laughs> I digress. I digress. I digress. <laughs> then we move to Amanda's house, and they're rushing around in the morning. I guess the kids need to get to school. They never rushed in the morning, ever. They always rushed. Oh, my fault. What I meant to say was they always rushed. You're always rushing. In the morning. We were always late. So always. I, I haven't seen you cute fellas yet, but Amanda and Dottie are rushing around and they were trying to find the keys. And then the phone rings and Amanda answers and it's your dad, Joe King. And she recognizes him right away. You sound close and he ex explains that he's in D.C. But he's being very mysterious that he's in trouble and she shouldn't try and find him. And that he's kind of warning her, like, you're going to get some calls asking about me, you know, and just tell him you don't know where I am because you don't kind of thing. And then she wants to help because, you know, unbeknownst to him, she's a part-time spy. My favorite part of that is you sound close. I am. <laughs> you call somebody from across the street right now on a cell phone, they'll be like, where are you? <laughs> I'm across the street. Are you sure? You sound like you're in Australia. Back then, on the landline, you sound close. I'm right next door. Back then, if she, she's probably thinking he's supposed to be in North Africa. So right. I'm sure that sounded a lot different than it does. It did. That's yeah. my point. Oh. But on a cell phone now, it's oh, like... Oh, it, yeah, you, know, you definitely sound... The, yeah. You could be in the same room. Where are you? I don't have any idea. <laughs> You're in a tunnel. Again, I digress. My fault. <laughs> Paul, you'll realize we do this a lot. Usually it's the ladies uh, uh, leading the charge on this, but Greg has been with us so much that now he's doing it. So that's great. I'm glad you feel comfortable. So she says, if you're in trouble, I want to help. And he's like, I'm sorry, man. I wish I knew what else to do, but I've got to stay away from you and the kids. He's trying to protect you guys. Isn't that nice? Now, when we first saw him, he was a really bad, bad man. <laughs> so it's interesting that now we're not supposed to realize that this is somebody, you know, we're supposed to uh, think this is somebody completely different and not uh, Glenn Tucker, who just killed somebody with a steak knife. Yeah, that's the magic of Hollywood. Yes, right? 
not not unprecedented that they would bring someone back to play a different character. They did that a lot. Yeah, they did actually. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. They did. The guy from the nanny. Yep. Davis. Daniel yes. Davis. Daniel Davis. They brought back, but it seemed like he was a good luck charm apparently to Kate. So. They that you guys got renewed at the end of uh, season two for season three. So she said, "You're a good luck charm. You got to come back for the season three finale." And he did. And then he said he didn't get asked to come back for the uh, season four finale. And look what happened. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But not just Scarecrow. I mean, they did that. They do that a lot. A lot. Of yeah. Shows. You know, you you just see people and you don't realize it, but they're they're always the same people in all the same shows during that time frame. You know, the A Team, yeah. Hunter, Heart to Heart. Moonlighting, all those same char- uh, same character actors. You know, that, that's there's a good point there because in the acting field, a lot of people, a lot of famous people that I knew that kept working and said, "Never be a leading man; always be a character actor. You'll never stop working." And there is no truer words. I mean, I've seen a bunch of guys out there that weren't like the head of the show, but they were famous enough with like Michael Ironside, some of these other guys out there that just worked nonstop on show after show after show. And they avoided being the main character because they worked so often as the side character. And you, you, and you don't you have, have to work as hard, probably. Yeah. Yeah, you have all the time with working actors. Yeah. Yep. Good work if you can get it, though. I'm sure it's not super easy either. Either one of those. There is, there is, it's part, it's part superstition, part witchcraft, part I don't know how, but I got to be honest with you. I knew a lot of actors out there that were super talented, that worked like one or two shows, did a great job, and never worked again. And for no other reason than just they didn't. Right and place, right was, time. I, I was very cognizant, even back then, that when Greg and I were working on Scarecrow, how lucky we were. And and it, it's it's a crazy thing. And it's funny because I've, uh, at the 25th reunion, I was asked, I said, hey, would you ever go back to show business? And I said, honestly, I said, I've got bills now. I said, I couldn't imagine hanging my shingle on would it be great yes but what i would do is i would take some time off from work do the episode and then go back to work but i would never make it my primary income it would just be too nerve-wracking yeah that would be hard you you don't know when your next gig is going to be yeah no and and i enjoy and i'm sure paul can speak to this because of uh, how much he's done outside of acting but i enjoy doing other things yeah. I enjoy learning other things and 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 being a part of something that's that's different than acting. Because when you're acting, even though the characters may be different, you're still doing the same thing. And you know, I've I've been able in my in my business career been able to do some things that I, I would have never gotten to do uh, if if I had just continued acting. And, you know, emergency medicine is one of them. And, and I enjoy having that knowledge and having that experience. I think it makes me a better person. Well, here's a fun fact. We both have that in common. Both Greg and I have worked in emergency medicine, which is interesting. I, yeah, because, I mean, it's not like there was a, something like that would have tied you together. It's just fluky. We're that you, yeah, well, yeah, that's true. You're right. We're bearded. We're glassed. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. Emergency medicine. <laughs> we use big words. I think emergency medicine would be stressful. Um, yeah. Just because be. you have to have all that knowledge, but you have to apply it so quickly. There's no time to ponder out all the options. It's like. You did mountaineering uh, emergency medicine, didn't you? 
No, I I worked. I wanted to. Um, I do mountaineering as a hobby, but I started out. Uh, I went to EMT school, and then I worked on an ambulance for a short period of time. Why'd you stop doing that? Because I was actually working a full time job during the week, and then I was working uh, sixteen hours on the weekend on an ambulance. So. Working seven days a week just got to be too much. Yeah, that's hard. My brother does, he's a, a volunteer fireman, and then he was doing EMT stuff too and training. And it, it did, it got too much. So now he just does the fireman stuff. Yeah. But you see a lot too. That's just, I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm CPR certified and I'm scared to death something's going to happen and I have to deal with it, you know, and do something because it just makes well, me nervous. Well, different type of person. I mean, Paul's also a pilot. I think that very quick processing and thinking, I'm more of a, I like to take my time and think it out, you know. Plan it out, yeah. Um, there's, there's, I mean, there's, there's different types of medicine. I, I know we're here to talk about the show, but you know, I did, I did critical care flight. I did, I, I did uh, ER medicine. I did out in the field, and then as a special forces medic. So there are different variations of it, but it all comes back to the common theme of thinking on your feet. And the interesting thing about Scarecrow is the fact that a lot of the episodes are about thinking on your feet. And how interesting is it that Greg and I went on to lives in on the other side of the television where we were required to think on our feet. Yeah. And people, yeah. people, certain people were better off because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. I'll bring it. I'll bring it back to acting though, Jen. In that emergency medicine is all about it's ninety percent training, and you just train and train and train for that ten percent when you have to put that train to use. <clears throat> So that when something happens, it's not like experiencing it for the first time. In reality, you've been training for it for so long that the it, it's just second nature. Even though it's 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 a uh, maybe a an emergency for that individual or a catastrophic incident for that individual, for you as the as the provider, it really isn't. I mean, if you've been doing your job, it isn't because you've been training for that moment. Get back to the basics, airway, breathing, and circulation. Yeah. Get back ABCs. to the basics. Anything, yep. no matter how advanced you are in your, in your discipline, goes back to the same thing. Yeah, I mean, the only experiences I have with my own family members, and I'm very much invested in that, and the stakes are so high that I haven't had a kind of experience with it with that when I didn't know the person. It's always right. been my son or so um yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what you're capable of until you're in the situation too, I'm sure. A mother's right. is not capable. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Uh yeah, my my little one had a febrile seizure and I my my husband and I were both CPR certified and you would have thought we were like idiots. We didn't know what, you know, it's just just gone. Yeah, it's just well, gone because you know, it's your kid. Right, but Yeah. Yeah, we did too. You know, it's not I, like he's suffering. I think I think it's interesting, but you never know. You don't know what you're capable of until you're put in the situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for everybody on this call, I'm sure that we have individual examples of rising to that occasion. And you know, Ty, with what you've done for your family and the things that you have been exposed to on a personal level, and the fact that you've risen to the occasion over and over again, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. In emergency medicine, you're in the moment, and it's over. But in some cases, it's, it's a process that you have to continue to live with. And I think that takes real bravery and real aptitude. Yes. And, and, and I think that that's impressive. You really, really do impress me. Shucks. <laughs> no, that's very true. That's the marathon. That's the long game. Yeah. It's, it's very hard. Yeah, but you don't have a choice. I mean, you just, 
you, you know. No, I know. But yeah, it's, that's so it's like whenever Bernie says, how do you deal with that every day? It's like, what's my choice? You know, I either do or I don't. You know, there's no choice in that. I'm going to pull us. I'm going to pull us back. <laughs> now that I'm all embarrassed. Now we're at the agency and they are getting an agent is calling in and giving an update to Billy and Francine's also listening to it. And Lee's within earshot because he's hearing this. As they're discussing it, the associate government is bracing for a revolution. They're sending in one of their top, their top guys to supervise in the States. And a uh, person that is the accused murderer of the prime minister is a gentleman named Joe King. I wonder if the show was making a joke on that of joking, like Joe King joking, you know, or is it just like, we'll just call it's, him Joe. And You know, I think, I think I've never heard anybody say that before. Yeah, it's just, it sounds like joking. It's kind of funny. Are you joking? Yeah, are you joking? His name's Joe King. Yep. Amanda really has an ex-husband? Are you joking? <laughs> right. <laughs> Before we get back into that, I want to um, point out, we do have a script. It is the second draft. It's from October 22nd of 1985. There were some additional scenes in here. Um, so I'll point out just as we go. When back at the house, when Amanda and Dottie were there and she got a call, actually they do go out of the house and Amanda's trying to help Dottie drive. It seems like throughout the, the series, Dottie's always uh, either just learning to drive or doesn't know how to drive. She's in some state of not knowing how to drive very well. So Amanda is giving her instruction and she's saying, turn right six blocks to uh, the on-ramp for 270. You know the way right there, there, right? And Amanda checks the traffic, opens her door and gets out. And then Dottie's like all flustered. Dottie slides into the, uh, to the wheel and it says... Amanda closes the door as Dottie slides behind the wheel, much like a rodeo rider seating a Bronco, <laughs> fixes her seatbelt, adjusts the mirror, adjusts the mirror again. And she says, four o'clock at Georgetown Square. And Amanda says, uh-huh. Uh, whatever Mr. Prescott wants to ask about Joe won't take more than an hour. Then I'll walk down and shop. Have fun. She steps back. All clear? Anytime... And she's like, mother, like Dottie's hesitating quite a bit. Dottie is frozen, the tip of her tongue licking the corner of her mouth. Her eyes dart to the side mirror, looking apprehensively at the traffic coming from behind. She says, I can't get out of here. And Amanda, privately amused, says, yes, you can. Signal, wait for an opening, ease it out. Dottie throws caution to the wind, punches the accelerator, zooming the wagon into traffic, looking after Amanda's expression changes to surprise. <laughs> and then um, as Amanda's walking and she, uh, she's doing this, walking down the street, she actually sees Joe uh, just like 100 feet ahead of her. And she's trying to wave to him. And then she calls out to him and runs toward him. And he gets into the backseat of a cab and takes off. And then she just says to herself, like, what are you doing? And so we don't actually get that filmed at all. That's not even in the episode. And they keep referring to the US ERA instead of the EAO. So I'm not sure if this was that much earlier where they're just changing it up and not calling it what what it was called which is eao emergency aid organization so that was kind of interesting they were simplifying it yeah well the era is equal rights amendment yeah you know, too many acronyms yeah <laughs> they were they were genifying it <laughs> hey you got her to laugh <laughs> a little diabolical but she I, laughed no i have to laugh at myself all the time i i've learned that's an important thing <laughs> Getting back to the uh, the actual film version, 
Uh, they are explaining that Joe King is the person that is their number one suspect. And Lee's hearing this and he recognizes the name. And uh, Billy's saying if they think an American killed their prime minister, they're going to want his head on the platter. And then Lee seems completely just flabbergasted. He doesn't know what to do uh, and, and can't believe it. And, and, and Billy's like, what is it, Scarecrow? And he's saying that the name sounded familiar and he just can't believe it. He said, I thought the name sounded familiar, right? I checked with GSA, Central Intelli- uh, Central Registry. Joe King is Amanda King's ex-husband. And they're all like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Billy says, I'll be damned. <laughs> awesome. Because now we're in season three, mid-season three. This is number 11 in the actual filmed, uh, in the shown version, but it's number 14 for us. And, uh, so their relationship is definitely moving toward something more. And Lee is saying, I want this case, Billy. And he's like, you got it. And then Francine, of course, she's like, this is just too made, uh, too, too crazy to be made up. She said, Amanda's ex-husband is an international killer. And then, uh, Billy, the, the lawyer says international suspect Francine. (laughs) And then Billy says, you know, no playing favorites. If you have to use Amanda user, which, you know, it's kind of a little harsh, but. I guess it's the reality of, of where they're at. Scaregator. Yeah. He is definitely not a happy camper. Is that the only scene that Martha had that whole episode? She had one more, I thought, but she wasn't yeah, a lot. It's not, it's not a lot, but when she's talking to um, the prime minister. Oh, yeah. 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 And she starts mm-hmm. using her language. Yes. Her, her working French. Actually, it was French. Oh, that's right. You're right. You listen to the yep. call. Yeah. It, it was a Parisian French, actually. Yeah. Her French and her Italian is spot on. So smart. We've talked about that so many times, but she is an extremely smart woman. Definitely. Now, Amanda is meeting up with Prescott, and they've met before. Amanda doesn't really remember, but he he does. And he's asking if she's seen Joe or heard from him, and she's saying, no, not at all, you know, that he writes, and that's it. So she's smart enough. I mean, she knows enough not to play her hand and endanger her ex-husband which is pretty smart and thinking on her feet but the guy seems very just scuzzy to me i mean i know he is a scuzzball at the end spoiler alert but he just just comes across that way right from the start i think spoiler alert from a show from 1984 (laughs) i know that's why we joke we're like if you if you're listening to our podcast you've obviously seen the show We always tease about that. Someone shot JR. <laughs> See, JR, Lexi, is from. Yeah, I know, I almost said it. <laughs> from Dallas. Wait, Lexi, there was this show called Dallas. <laughs> and it, it used all the, all the tropes that are ever out there. They used all of them. Thank right you for clarifying. Lexi, right now, are you, are, you, uh, are you questioning all of your life choices? Of course not. You know what this you. this fool wants to do when we're done with this podcast? She wants to do another show. I'm like, are you crazy? This is it. I am done. I am going to be like taking a vacation forever after this. <laughs> it's more of a joke, but oh, good. yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it, we'll be really happy when the project is fully complete. Yes. You know? We'll, yes. It's out there for posterity. So. Yes. Yeah. Lord help us. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> People out in uh, in uh, South Korea are listening to us. I don't know how they're yeah. enjoying it, oh, but really? yeah, we have yeah. we have like 15 to 20 different countries that were uh listened to on a regular basis and it boggles my mind. 
That's awesome. It is. That's it's so cool. it's pretty crazy. That is so cool. Good for you, ladies. Yeah, thanks. Well, you guys help. That's so for sure. Love. That's for sure. I think, uh, Greg, last we looked, yours, uh, one of your podcasts were the uh, highest uh, downloaded. So oh, there you go. That, that'll that get, that'll yeah. pump up that ego. You know who I am. <laughs> you know who I am. <laughs> yes. I'm big in the Netherlands. Didn't you know that? <laughs> I'm kind of a big thing in the Netherlands and in South Korea. I'm kind of a big thing in Luxembourg. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So Prescott is kind of, pressing get it pressing amanda to persuade joe to come come in and talk with them and she's like well no i'm afraid he hasn't you know and quite frankly i'm a little bit confused he's a lawyer and now this is where we're learning a lot about her ex-husband we didn't know any of this stuff oh look at these cuties you guys got to ride your bikes on on screen yeah, and I noticed that Paul and I are actually racing in that scene. You <laughs> we are. Literally are. Yeah, and you're losing, Greg. Are. And when the, the bikes <laughs> fell over, that was not on purpose. No. Greg, you're you're behind. I can tell by the way I'm pedaling the bike that I'm actually racing. You're really trying yeah, hard. Yeah, he was beating me too. No, and you were winning. Yeah, he was he was pulling away from me, and I'm like, uh-uh, that's not happening. <laughs> so I was double-timing it, and then we just came up on our markers super fast. So that's when you saw us come sliding into the <laughs> Yeah, you do, actually. We almost hit Beverly. Oh, you, Greg, you gave her a big hug. Oh, no, I think that was, I think that was uh, Paul. You gave her a hug, a little squeeze. That was sweet. Yeah, we always did that. <laughs> That's very sweet. We were just watching Utopia Now. Uh, you were uh, fighting her w- with, for cookies, uh, Paul. She was trying to pull them out of your hand, and you're like, you're like attacking her to get the cookies, and you snagged them away from her, and then she grabbed them from you later on and started eating them. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Now, honest, I'm telling you, a lot of this stuff was ad lib. I believe that because it looked was. like it. I mean, it was really, it was really cute. I just remember that you, you were like practically fighting your grandma for these cookies. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So you guys pull pull up on your bikes. The camera pulls back and we see a cab and it's sitting just outside on the opposite side of your street. Joe King's in the back and he has definitely got his eye in you guys and he's watching, um, but he's trying not to let the cab driver know that. He's in the right spot. My favorite part about this show is that everyone always hides right across the street <laughs> in the cars. Yes. It's always the bad guy part. No right one ever sees the street him. Or leaves right across the street. Yep. Or now dad is right across the street. <laughs> no one would ever find them there because no. they're right across the street. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you want to hide, just park. Right the they even had a, a woman that looked just like Amanda's doppelganger right across the street and nobody even recognized like, hey, that woman looks awfully yeah. familiar. Like, nope, not even it, that. It happens twice in this episode. <laughs> I think Donnie would call the cops on him. Yeah. yeah. There's a strange like, cab. He's sitting out there for like 10 minutes. <laughs> Guy in the back seats checking out the house. It's nice that he is trying to keep you guys all protected. He's wants to make sure that you guys are all right, but but still see you, which is nice. Well, that actually, it's interesting. There's interesting, a couple of side notes to that. Uh, when when the discussions, when the script discussions were going on, one of the things that Katie really wanted to have for Sam's character was a warm father figure. She didn't want him being demonized. She mm-hmm. wanted him to be a meaningful character. And so I think Sam, oh, by the way, his nickname was Bear, by the way. He went by Bear. 
often uh, would show a lot of warmth on set, and um, he. But that was the whole part of the thing is that she wanted a, a ex-husband that people kind of fell in love with a little bit, and it was very generous of Katie because Sam was really looking to to get active back into acting. And uh, Katie was instrumental in bringing him to the show in that regard, so yeah. That's nice. Yeah, because, I mean, I know a lot of people think, oh, ex-husband, they must hate each other. You know, that's what everybody's grown up understanding is people get divorced because they can't stand each other anymore. But they definitely had a relationship, and I think a lot of people still have a hard time putting their heads around that, that you can still love a person, just not be right for them and want to be married to them. And I think that's what they did. I think they did it in the right way that... You can. They showed that you could have a, a couple that break up and still want the best for their family and can still be part of their family. And obviously he was in a different country and gone all, an awful lot. But when he did come back into the show, he was there. They, they would spend Christmas, you know, somewhat together. It, it just showed a different side that you didn't have to hate each other. How about how about this perspective? I don't know if you guys count this or not. How about it was, was okay for a woman to strike out her own and she'd be fine? That she didn't yes. need a man to be successful. Yes. How about that? Mm-hmm. I wonder how many people actually caught that. This is the 80s. Oh, well, if you don't have a man in your life, how could you possibly be successful? You must be miserable. Right. And look at her. She flourished. She had adventures. She led her family. Her family didn't want for anything. The boys were taken care of. There's another underlying tone mm-hmm. that you can, it's okay to be an independent woman. Right. Even with kids. Yeah. Well, and divorce was still rare back then, or more rare. Yeah, um, well, especially now. It's kind of Remember. like setting up that it's okay, and everybody can still love each other and support the kids. Yeah. And there's no demons yeah, in it. Yeah, it's different, but there's still a, a united family front. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if your ex-husband is gallivanting across Africa on a Vespa, it's okay <laughs> that everyone still <laughs> it's a Vespa, though. Well, having Dottie there, I just I think that's a neat family dynamic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I I grew up with my both my parents. You know, they were married till my dad passed away. But to be able to see that a woman could make it on her own, that encouraged me that okay, I don't have to be in in a relationship in order to you know be successful. I can do anything I want to do. You know, so I I ended up getting married fairly you know twenty one, but I still carried that. I don't have to be with a man just to be successful or to be happy. I, I, I'm lucky I can, but I, I didn't have to be. So it, it's that empowerment, I think, that we all kind of grew up on, which yeah. was awesome. Well, they still were, that. like, fixing, trying to fix the sink and the pipes. And yes. It's great. Yeah. And I maybe not being great at it. Work, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's give it a try. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think this is where your uh, second uh, – uh, attempt where someone's pulling up and watching someone and no one's recognizing it. Prescott just watched Amanda walk into the uh, agency and she didn't, you know, unbeknownst to her, he's like keeping an eye on her as well. And then it's a sweet moment. Amanda came in and, and went to talk to Billy and, and the first thing she's asking is, does Lee know? Which is very sweet. She's telling Billy that it's absolutely ridiculous that Joe wouldn't kill anybody. And he's like, well, it's a dangerous place. She's like, nope, it doesn't matter. He wouldn't do it. doesn't matter. She has just trust in her ex-husband. That's not who he is. And he wouldn't be possibly be capable of that. And then Billy tells her that they're going to do everything they can to help him get through this and, and clear his name. Billy tells her that uh, Lee's on a special assignment, very high level. And then you see... 
Lee walking in, he looks like a a, a, gross, a a department store worker. He's got all these zebra bags all over the place. How much luggage does this guy have, first off? I don't, I don't know, but I love that there's zebra bags. Cause, <laughs> yep. what, is that the only way to signify that the guys were Africa? That's the only <laughs> way. How else would they? <laughs> well, why can't he carry at least one of his bags? I mean, <laughs> a little tiny one. <laughs> a little tiny bag. Because he's got to bless the house when he comes in. <laughs> Mrs. Marston's like, what the hell? Who is this guy? May all your wives be pregnant. <laughs> That's a lot of kids. Yeah. <laughs> totally out of date. <laughs> so Lee's kind of on his toes with this guy. He doesn't trust him further than he can throw him. And uh, he introduces him as Assam Alashamba. He's uh, the... Uh, investigator associate investigator so he's on special assignment and i like how uh mrs marston another strong woman we have this theme going throughout this uh, show she's like uh mr stetson this is my office not your closet <laughs> and he's like oh yeah no problem and he tries to, to, to pick it all up and then he grabs the bags and drags them to the closet yeah exactly. and then he seems a little uh confused by the the, the elevator <laughs> the closet elevator Oh, and then in the script, uh, Lee actually calls the house. He says, calling from traffic, I guess. He says, no, this is Mr. Stimson from International Federal Film. May I speak with Amanda King? And Dottie is disappointed it's not Joe. She's not here. I thought she was coming to see you, Mr. Stimson. And he says, exactly, just what I thought. Have a nice day, and hangs up. And she says, that's a strange outfit my daughter works for. (laughs) Is it Homer Stimson? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow how many names does he she get Dottie get told what his name is and it, none of them are even close to Stetson all right so getting back to the film version uh Lee drags in all of Alishamba's luggage into another character a reoccurring character that we don't see too often um, but now we're seeing a little bit more and that's Leatherneck he is the kind of uh, what do they call him? He's the quartermaster. Quartermaster, thank you. And what Lexi likes to remember him by is Mr. Teeth. She hates his teeth. Oh, that's what I do called. hate his teeth. Mm-hmm. But he looks I pretty good in that, jeans. I didn't want to say anything to be, you know. You don't want to be mean yeah. like Lexi? I think he was actually a Western star at one time. Oh, really? I Interesting. I think so. Because I, I remember, I don't know why, but I remember... Bruce knowing him from stuff, and I want to say it was something oh. to do with westerns. Huh. Well, I can see that. He's kicked in the mouth by a horse. <laughs> yes, Jen. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you didn't want to be mean, Jen, and now that's, like, pretty harsh. <laughs> Damn. No. Oh. We're about to bust out a Mr. Ed joke here. <laughs> see, Mr. Ed, Lexi, was this horse that could talk. <laughs> Let me just take some notes here. Yes. Yeah. Lexi's going to drop some uh, uh, pop culture knowledge on us and blow us all up. So. Yeah. She's She'll talk millennial and we'll be like, what? <laughs> She's about to knowledge drop. Right now she's writing. No, she's writing. Greg is right. I am questioning the <laughs> Dear Diary, today I talked with a bunch of old people. <laughs> They're so lame. <laughs> I can't believe they're still it's still out there. They gave it they 
don't sell it in stores anymore, and they gave it to me for my birthday. Was it, isn't it like bath soap that, or something? both cool and interesting because God knows whose basement that's been in for the last 20 years. <laughs> Bet you can't wait to use that, Jen. <laughs> but I thought it was pretty funny. They didn't understand it for a very long time. Yeah, I think you need to be a little bit more specific when you say, Calgon, take me away, because you may not like where you're going. <laughs> oh, and, and Jen, uh, being that you're a PhD, don't look at the ingredients. It may cause you a uh, serious... Well, yeah, I haven't examined it. It does have aloe in it, which is good. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got to be good if it's got aloe in it with everything else. Aloe comes right after formaldehyde, but that's okay. <laughs> it's got aloe. I'll just hold it up when I need everybody to be quiet. <laughs> now, Lee hands off Alishamba, and and then he makes behind uh, Alishamba's back, he, he uh, you know, tries to make him uh, extend the stay so that he can get him out of his hair for a while. <laughs> and Leatherneck's not really excited about that. He's like, hey, what about your zebras? And he just leaves them. Apparently, there's some chewing gum. Five flavors. One makes you see double and think backwards. <laughs> yeah, there you go. How does that work? So Leatherneck's getting him kind of Americanized. He gives him an Orioles hat. He gives him some used money, um, gives him an ID. And then he has to take his picture and he like does this uh, little chant beforehand and says it's superstition, that they'll, it'll steal your soul kind of thing. He goes, just because it's a superstition doesn't mean it isn't true. Oh yeah, those teeth are a little rough. Okay, yeah, I remember now. And then uh, we skip up to uh, Lee and, or I guess, I'm not sure where they are on the floor, but anyways, uh, Lee and... Uh, Billy walking down the, the hallway there. And he's telling him that Amanda's up in the uh, Q Bureau waiting for him. Lee doesn't trust him, though. He said he he's trying to make us believe that he'd rather be at Disneyland. Uh, and he doesn't buy it. So the scene that we get is a little bit different than what was in the script. So we have Amanda and uh, Lee is in the vault looking at files, harumphing uh, over what he's reading. And Amanda's perched on a chair writing on a pad. She reacts every time Lee makes a noise. And she says, what? And he says, nothing much. She said, that's not your mu- nothing much noise. That's your this is something interesting noise. And he says, make the list, Amanda. Be thorough. Doctors, his old laundry, old apartments, as far back as you can remember. She's like, I've got those. He makes a noise. She says, what? He crushes out of the vault with two personnel files. Okay, I'm comparing your ES-12s. His account of the divorce isn't exactly the same as yours, which is what we see. She says it isn't. He says he shows her pointing out the lines for comparison. He takes all the blame. You take all the blame. Affectionate laugh. That's just like Joe. And he says, and just like you. But it's not going to help us here to be so polite. I need to know the truth, even if it's tough. We've never talked about Joe. I feel kind of on the spot. He says, you are. For the first time since we met, you're my case. Lee continues by her and looks out the window. He continues, if it helps, I feel as strange as you do, but I need to know. Uh, She stands trying to decide where to start. She says, we were married in 72. She she goes off and says, I had Jamie in 77, which actually in another episode, you were born in 75. So it's really confusing. Because it says Philip was born in 73. 75, 77, 220, 221. (laughs) You know, it's just like they don't stick with any of the information. So then it's saying that there's four years between you two, which is not accurate either. When there's really only eight months. 
And then he says, I, I can read the facts, Amanda, tell me what isn't in the file. And then she kind of goes off. And then she says, what does that have to do with the case? He goes, well, you know, criminal psychology. She says, I know a little about psychology, Lee. I think you're prying. And then right when Ali Shaba comes in, he goes, let's not tell him we know each other. He might want me off the case for having a bias. And she says, do you? And then the guy comes in and then that breaks up. And then Ali Shamba says, when may I interrogate the woman, meaning Amanda? And he says, right now. And Shamba says, alone. And then Amanda gives an edgy look to Lee. And then Shamba blows a bubble. It's kind of weird. I'm glad they changed it, though. So instead, we get what we saw, which is a bit different of uh, the, I know what's in the file, Amanda. Tell me what isn't there. And her being hesitant to say anything. His account of the divorce isn't exactly the same as yours. Well, let me see. Yeah, this is yours. Oh, no, I don't want to see mine. Let me see his. All right. Thank you. Oh. What? Nothing. <laughs> what? Uh, well, just some of the stuff's a little misleading. You know, it's the legal talk. I mean, it says I'm resistant to change, and that can't be me. I was never a stubborn person. I'm just not a stubborn person. Well, you sure know how to get what you want. The... I'm not stubborn, am I? <laughs> All right, I'm a little bit stubborn. Oh, look. We just didn't agree on everything. You care to elaborate on that? No. I really don't. She doesn't want to... It seems like she has a um, thing against talking badly about about Joe. Like, at all. Which I get when you wouldn't... You shouldn't talk bad about your ex to your kids, but I don't understand what the... Telling him any information is. I guess it's super personal. And it's weird that there's like a personal account of their divorce on file pages. Yeah, that's like, kind of a... People's, Perspectives on divorce. Yeah. Actually, for security clearances, the first person they interview is your ex-wife. And they have a detailed interview, and they always pull the transcripts. It's to determine if you're balanced or not. So anything above top secret, uh, they or what they call code word, they're going to speak to anybody that's had any significant contact with you to check out. You know, they understand exes, but it's they want to make sure you're not a dirtbag. So they ask questions like, how, how's the divorce or why did you get yeah. divorced? And... They, they want to know all the details and, mm-hmm. they're, and, and lying to them comes with a felony charge. So you kind of want to be honest. I've had to fill out uh, a lot of, of questionnaires just on the employer side of things uh, for government security. And it gets pretty interesting and then we actually were uh, used to live next to an fbi agent and the fbi uh came came around and asked the neighbors questions we didn't know much because we didn't know the guy very well but they asked quite a few things too so i would can only imagine what they would ask the ex embarrassing <laughs> well they actually ask the questions and then they give you a polygraph test so wow Wow. So, yeah, it's a real deal thing, and it takes several days. Well, then he would know that she was really, she had a job that was, was pretty serious. Yeah. I guess. If he's being yeah, that's, that's, I for a that's true. for company, of course. I gotta know all those Well, questions. it's a government, right. it's a government film company, so the, the government has secrets. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably how she spun it, instead of telling the truth. Now, I thought, now, hang on a second. Now, I thought she wasn't, was she an employee at this point, or was oh, she yeah. still a contractor? Uh, employee at this point. She, I mean, she was she was part time employee. Yeah, she's she's been a part time employee for a long time at this point. This is season three, so because not much longer from here, she'll be a full time agent. You know, not too yeah. many. But it still said guest on her. Yeah, 
That's that, true. That's true. Yeah. So, so just to let you know, within the agency itself, they have different levels of security. And so she, as a, a contractor, the person who ever holds that contract is usually responsible for the background check on that. So it's, it's a little different. They don't go quite in depth because she's very, what they call case specific. Whereas if she was a full-time agent, she'd be cleared for anything at that particular level of clandestine operations. Good to know. We have an expert on the on staff. Yeah, I think the I think the questions were asked because it was in the script. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's why all the questions were asked. <laughs> we we do that all the time when we find a plot hole. <laughs> if it hadn't been in the script, I don't I don't think all those questions would have been asked. Exactly. Way to ruin it for us. Shamba goes off with Francine, uh, you know, in this in the actual uh, film version. We actually have something a little different. As Amanda and Lee are separating, Lee turns away, but Amanda holds him for a final word. And she says, even if I didn't know you, this would all still be happening. You would be looking for Joe among uh, coming to ask me questions. And Lee, with a twinkle in his eye, says, the cosmic connection. And she says something like that. I wonder if we'd feel the same way of feel the same about each other. Ooh, I wish they would have played that. That was that would have been cute. No, no, no one react. Just let me sit here and, and die in silence. That's fine. <laughs> You're having a moment. We're just <laughs> we're giving you that moment. <laughs> we're all we're all actually really uncomfortable right now. <laughs> me too, Greg. Me too. <laughs> the Calgon moment. Take you away. <laughs> to that other scene. <laughs> sweet though that would have been cute a cute little uh parting thing from that instead what we get is prescott with foster and i'm not sure who the bigger snake in this is but uh they're both just scuzzballs and what is it with bad guys in the tea like they always have tea in this show do bad guys just always drink tea he's like steeping Uh, his tea only on scarecrow yeah in other shows, it's scotch. <laughs> yeah. You know, vodka. And Scarecrow, it's uh, tea. It's tea. And they always have those fancy, remember those fancy phones? Those ornate ones? They always have those that they use too. I don't yeah. know. I can't remember if they have it in here, but I bet you they do. That's a sign of a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and a lot of money fancy, equates to being evil, fancy, apparently. Fancy phones and tea in the afternoon means <laughs> that you're very well you're well to do well read yes (laughs) so now we're getting the understanding now as the audience we're we're learning more about what's going on so these bad guys the baddies are worried about the information that joe has brought and he knows something that they're doing and they're worried about it so we don't know exactly what proof he's got and what they've done but it's probably not good. And Foster wants to stay completely out of it. He doesn't want to be connected at all with uh, talking with Joe because then he'll, he feels that they'll be connected to each other and uh, he doesn't want that. So he's having Prescott be the middleman so that Prescott's the one who's connected to him, <laughs> which if you're the, if you're like the henchman, you're probably thinking like, get your hands dirty too, old man. Apparently not. So they're confirming that Joe was supposed to have been shot not the not the um, security guard uh, in back in Estosia. It was he wasn't meant to get out of Estosia, and now that he has, now there's a manhunt for him, and and they're saying that works in their favor. Trying to move this, um, so Prescott admits to Foster that he uh, got Joe's fingerprints on the murder weapon, 
So he's the one who's uh, used Joe as a scapegoat. If King is arrested before, we'll need leverage. And he, and he said, well, there's his family. And that's where he's vulnerable. And he said, well, his ex-wife works for a government production house, uh, International Federal Films. He's checking it out. And her two sons will go to school. And he says, his two sons. So he clarifies. So he's, he doesn't care that they're going to be using you poor innocent boys uh, as pawns. If they only knew. They're gonna, he wants to kill your dad. I mean, essentially. As he drinks his little bad, tea. Bad guys don't care. Yeah, they don't care. Yeah. At all. Now we're back at the agency. And Amanda and Lee and um, Alishamba are going through all the list Amanda put together. And they're talking about... Where he, was, where he lived in college, uh, where his parents lived. Um, and she's saying, you know, we can go on forever. And he's like, yeah, I don't think we have to go past college. It's unlikely he'll go back more fi- than 15 years for help. And then they're saying that it's difficult because he didn't live in the States, so he doesn't have the same connections that he would if he lived here on a daily basis. And then Ali Shamba, I like this. He said, from where he's from, a man either runs two ways, either away from something or towards something. And, and Lee's saying, well, he definitely ran to D.C. purposefully. So they got to figure out why. He wants something here, he's saying. And then Alishamba says, maybe at the EAO. Or maybe he's looking for a superior Baron Foster. Oh, here's where we have um, Francine come in. and It says she's speaking Estosian. <laughs> so apparently whoever uh, typed up the notes on, on the uh, closed captioning didn't know what French sounds like. <laughs> Well, no, because she started the conversation with Assalamu alaikum, and and he greeted her back with a Muslim greeting, and then they broke out into French. Oh, okay. I'll have to listen to it again. I haven't heard it in like a week or so. So her uh, ability to pick up languages is amazing. Those earrings, I mean, am I right, fellas? <laughs> Those earrings are horrible. <laughs> on who? On, on on Martha. They're like oh. big blue, huge earrings. Yeah, I noticed those right away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're huge. Yeah. yeah, she always had these crazy earrings. Yeah. Uh, the worker people always found the most interesting thing. Well, back then, big remember, she had all those, the, the, the big chunky jewelry, the big earrings. That was a real popular thing. Uh, remember those, um, they had these posters. These artists used to do these drawings of a lot of the girls uh, that he would feature in his art would have these big earrings that, you know, very geometric shaped. Yeah, geometric things were back. I, want, I remember that. Was it Nagel's? Nagel? Nagel? Yes, Nagel. 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 Nagel, yeah. With the, it was all like neon colors and, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was a huge thing. I think I had one, a print. I have three of them. Knowledge drop right there. I have three. I do have three. Do you really? You know who I am? You know what? You have three? I have three nagels. You guys have never heard of it, but I've got three. I only have one nagel, but anyway. Three nagels, one nagel, two nipples. So here's where we're we're getting to see the little um, uh, walkie-talkies that you guys were mentioning earlier. And he gives it to her, and and he says it's just like a a regular phone. And then she goes, does it have an area code? Looks like a garage door opener. It does. With an antenna. She goes, can't we lose him? He goes, I don't want him running around out there all by himself. It's better to keep him closer. Finding, I don't want him finding Joe before we do. She goes, is there an area code? He goes, no, no area code. It's <laughs> a good question. So you guys went to Arlington Heights Middle School. 
And actually, this was a uh, like a little private school. Now I don't know what it was back in the day, but it, it was it was a little religious private school. It was really cute though. It had a, a cute little uh, area in there um, that you drive up in, and then it had a little gymnasium. Do you guys remember being on there at, at, on set at all, or was that just? Oh yeah, especially the trampoline. Yeah. I absolutely remember. Yeah, you did pretty good on that. Yeah, you did pretty good on that. Which was not safe, by the way. No. No, not even close. Let me tell you something. They changed the rules since then for a reason. (laughs) There's no netting around it. I mean. It's the Greg and Paul rule of why you don't have them anymore. My favorite part of Paul on the trampoline is he keeps bouncing out of frame. (laughs) Paul was really good on the trampoline. He was. That's what I said. It was impressive. I was good too. I was Oh my gosh. Bad, okay. I you were okay. You were okay. All part of the scene. <laughs> when it cut, I was doing backflips, okay? Landing on my feet. It was okay? Paul's moment to shine. Let him shine. I'm an athlete, Jen. <laughs> oh my god. We did so we we spent so much time on that trampoline. When originally, I wasn't supposed to be doing all those flips. They didn't build that into the script. When they showed me the trampoline, because I had one at home, I started, Greg and I got on and started playing, and then I started doing flips. And then that's when they said, wait, you want to do that stuff? So then they had us taking turns doing it. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Bringing yeah. a little yeah. something extra. I'm surprised they let you do that, though. I know, me too. <laughs> Did they have people standing around and make sure you didn't fly off? No. Nope, they didn't. This was the 80s, Jen. We didn't even have seatbelts until later. Stunt guy, when he got on there and he tried to do a couple of flips, he actually hit wrong and flew off. Yeah. Yeah, he actually got hurt. Oops. (laughs) You're like, let me show you how it's done. (laughs) We have one of those, but it has a neck. I have like two gymnasts in the family, so it happens quick. I don't know, Greg, did you remember this? Bruce got up there and started jumping up and down, and everybody freaked out and told him to get off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was going to break something. Oh, my gosh. I cannot uh, even imagine him being on there. They're expendable. Don't let Bruce on there. Don't let Bruce. Wow. Well, we're at the school, supposedly, and uh, Prescott is there, and he's waiting to talk to the vice principal. He's saying his name is Mr. Pryor, which is BS. Yeah, I'm sure he's Where's that BS spray? <laughs> He's uh, stating that he's an in- private investigator for Amanda. And I love how he's like chewing gum like he's chewing cud, you know? <laughs> Everybody's chewing gum back then. He's saying that there's uh, an issue with your dad and that there's a little bit of trouble. And she's like, since when? It's always been, you know, very amicable between the two of them. And he's like, hey, you never know. You know what I mean? <laughs> he gives her his card and says, if you see joe king near the school please give him a call and she's like sure laying the groundwork aren't you there buddy now uh then amanda comes home she's um gone away from lee and alishamba and she's come home to see if she can find anything that kind of stuck out in joe's letters from that he would uh write from home yellow flowers are like peppered all throughout this uh scene actually by the way ladies so she's left She's left Dottie to go through all the letters and see if anything stands out. Uh, if he's gotten any fights with anybody, anything that's not uh, talking about the rain uh, falling in uh, Astosia. And then she's kind of perturbed at her daughter because she's running off to do work and isn't trying to find her ex-husband. When in fact, her work is to find her ex-husband 
And so she just doesn't understand that. And she's like, I'd certainly like to know where you get your information. She's saying, get a number. And she's like, would you, you would be more persuasive. She's like, tell him to call me at IFF. She goes, oh, you and that blasted film company. Here's the father of your children. And all you can think about is going to work. She goes, I'm going to be looking for them. They'll know where to reach me at IFF. Everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. She says, sure. And then she says, I'd like to know where she gets that inf- her information. Here's where you were saying about um, being right across the street and no one recognizing them. Yeah, she almost hits the car. She, like backs up like right into him. And he just, all he does is like cover his face. Like that's going to. Yeah. I'm across the street. You can't see me. <laughs> I'm not this here. It's like it's like when the kids were young and they hide themselves and their butt sticking out. You know when they hide in the covers. I can't see you. Oh, where the did under the, the baby go? <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Dennis calls home to kind of explain that there was a detective at the at the school, and she's like, and Daddy's like, oh yeah, well it's true. You know, they're the police are looking for Joe. So it plays right into Prescott, and now she's not going to question it at all. Now the Three of them, Amanda, Alishamba, and Lee, are walking toward Mrs. McDragon's, which in the script, in the script we have, they actually do refer to her as Mrs. McDragon. <laughs> and Amanda actually almost calls her that, which would have been embarrassing. As opposed to what? What was she in the um, <laughs> Her real name is Mrs. Mrs. Mc- McDonald. McDonald. Oh, yeah. McDonald. Thank you, Lex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And she, but they called her Big Dragon because, you know, she was kind of a hard ass when they were going to school there when they were a lot younger. But actually, I've I've actually gone to this house. This thing is enormous. They had it all blocked off because they're renovating it. But oh my gosh, that house must be at least 7,000 square feet at least. At least. It's humongous. And that. It had looked, a lot of work like to be a, done. It looked like a green and greenhouse, like the old architect. Do you remember those guys? No. So they're a famous architect turn of the century that did a lot of heavy beam, heavy woodwork. They're very prevalent in Pasadena. Okay. And they're and they're they're beautiful houses that uh, that are actually historical landmarks. Like if Doc, they do renovate Doc Brown's house in uh, Back to the Future. It does. Yeah, it does look like that. The most famous green okay. greenhouse. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This isn't in Pasadena, though. This is in um, uh, near near Amanda's house uh, uh, in uh, Toluca Lake. Near that, not in Toluca Lake, but it's near there. Mm. But I don't know. I can't remember exactly where it's at. Um, I have pictures of it, though. But but it is. It's quite stately. It's it's very beautiful. Even run down when I saw it. They they were. It's going to be gorgeous when it's done. It'd be interesting to see if it was a green green. Yeah. I can. I have the address. I can look it up, and then I can check and tell you guys. It's very pretty. One thing that was kind of funny uh, in this in the script, Mrs. McDragon <laughs> bangs open the screen door and bellows, "Hey, Decker, the Snow Queen is on the horn for you. I don't know why you bother. We're gonna pay off the national debt first. That's her intro into the show. Go figure. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, kind of a interesting. Uh, Thing. Super random. Yeah, super random. Uh, Amanda's asking if anybody saw Joe pull the trigger, and they said no. His fingerprints are on the gun, so that's all they needed to know. And then Alishamba is getting a little impassioned here. He's, you know, he's saying they love the prime minister and they want their own vengeance for him. So Amanda's explaining that Joe rented a room while he was in law school, and then she sees Mrs. McDonald 
and and they walk up to her and uh she goes to introduce herself she goes i know exactly who you are she goes what's going on is there some off-year reunion your old boyfriend was here last night and then she asked did you two tie the knot <laughs> i don't know would somebody recognize you 15 years later that some i mean it wasn't super significant the woodwork on that I mean, house is gorgeous, if by the Joe way. Joe had been there last night, and maybe he gave her the background. She would have remembered maybe if, she, if she was clicking it that it was Joe, she would have remembered that he was with Amanda. Yeah, right? probably. You think? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Did, did anybody else get the fact that he was, like, putting his hands over the bed? Did anybody get the bed bug vibe from that? He's, like, <laughs> he's got his hands over the bed. I'm like, bro, you don't want to find anything, trust me. If you'd have busted out a black light out of some college campus bed. A black yeah. <laughs> at a college place. Like <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be gross. So McDonald is telling them that Joe said he was in town for a seminar. Yeah, because he's going to go to an old college place. Uh, and there was a mix-up in housing. She said, I had the room, so of course he's a little older than most of the kids. Which is interesting because he's actually, let me think, I think like 12 years older... 12 years older than Kate. So even when they were on the rookies together, they were definitely uh, uh, far apart in age for sure. If I remember right, I think he was born in 36. Yeah. So, yep. 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He aged well. Yeah. I mean, he definitely looks older than her, but yeah, he, he, uh, he, he had really pretty piercing eyes. That's for sure. Yep, definitely. Sam was a good-looking guy. Yeah. you. I think you referred to You said he was a man's man. He was. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was a great-looking guy. He was a, definitely a, an old-school actor. He seemed like a gentleman, like a, a very warm-hearted person. He was. I want to take this moment to, um, we uh, probably don't know about this, Greg, but we are doing nominating certain categories this uh this season and so i'm going to nominate sam melville for our gold star guest uh award mm. uh for this uh for this episode so oh, cool. um that's my nomination for this one great i second that <laughs> yeah he's he's he was great he also was in a lot of other episodes with us but this one i think you know it's his debut as joe king and i think it really uh, sets the tone for the rest of the season and the, the series. Paul, you mentioned uh, Ali Shamba putting his hands over the bed. That is kind of, now I put, see in a different <laughs> view, different perspective now. She's like, are you looking for some kind of aura? And he's like, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Again, college campus bed. <laughs> <laughs> if those sheets could talk. <laughs> Probably <laughs> they could probably walk off by themselves too and then alishamba comes and sees lee he's got uh a packet and it's uh empty traveler's checks little leather like a little leather case and he's like it's empty like it's nothing and then alishamba moves off and he like stiff sticks in his pocket so it's obviously something which we find out in a minute what that's about and so amanda gives uh mrs mcdonald her phone number and says that hey if he comes back please give me a call at this number she goes the kids will be drifting in around four it could be a couple of laughs and lee says uh no i'm sorry not today and she goes it's your loss i could tell you stories about her and she just gives her a hug like <laughs> go away well in the script it's a little funnier she says uh 
sure the kids will start drifting in around four and we'll break out the beer why not stick around it can be uh, a few laughs lisa sounds great but we can't and mrs mcdragon says your loss after a couple of brews you could probably get me to tell you how this one thought she could sneak past my door at three in the morning and amanda says oh no i wish we could lee hesitates and she goes lee and he goes you know a beer might hit the and she goes lee move it right now <laughs> kind of cute <laughs> i like those little moments when she's like hey, let's go buddy you're not gonna learn anything about me <laughs> hey question for you uh, uh what college degree did amanda king have well funny you should ask <laughs> she you went right she went to the university of virginia uva and she has a degree in american literature because that helps cool. with being a spy, right? Yeah, I guess it does. And she also um, apparently uh, minored in photojournalism. That came up in uh, season one, episode nine, Sudden Death. It's like a steel trap, nothing in or out, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Rusty um, only works half the time. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> All right, there's a missing scene, uh, a missing character, too. Just after this part, Lee says, we do it by the number. Start from the top of your list. If he used one old haunt, chances are he'll use another. Shamba lets out a shout and wheels on the shifty man who has just bumped past. In the process, he's picked Shamba's pocket, although none too subtly. Lee just happens to step so that Shamba is blocked from catching the pickpocket before the man gets a good lead. Shamba says, this man, this man, he's taken my wallet, this man. Lee's still blocking. A pickpocket? Which man? And Amanda calling off, grab him, somebody. And Lee says, we'll head him off this way. So then they have somebody pickpocket him. To, they're trying to get rid of the guy. And Amanda, later on, Amanda says, studies Lee's satisfied expression. And she goes, did you set that up? And he goes, Fingers owed me a favor. She goes, Fingers, where do you meet these people? He goes, we go to the same dry cleaners. I called him earlier and had him wait here. I knew we'd want to lose Shamba eventually. Like, what? Like, completely didn't need to be, need to have that uh, at all in there. But they did. Yeah. Good delete. So instead, what we have is Lee and Amanda trying to ditch him in the room and says, you know, Somebody should stay here in case he comes back. And he goes, uh, like, I shouldn't be the one. And she goes, oh, that's a good idea. And they leave him. So now he's stuck there. And then they go and sit on a park bench. And then he pulls out that little um, book from the traveler's checks. And then they do an impression etching over it to see what it says. And it okay. says, My favorite this. part about that whole thing is they do it with the <laughs> pencil and it's a traveler's check, and the name Dooley's is right in the middle and huge. <laughs> and huge. Like, how is that traveler's check even filled out? It's well, like, you gotta oh, be able to see it. Check. It's Dooley's. I didn't get that either. <laughs> and he's in the U.S. Why would he be using a traveler's check? Exactly. Well. Well, you know, they gotta track him they gotta track him somehow. Yeah. So. yeah. You can't do it, it with just <laughs> I love that you practiced it. <laughs> and you have a sheet. Thank you. Guys. It's pretty close too. It took me three times to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> the first one said droolies. 
I'm all for a sidekick. So Amanda and Lee head over to Dooley's, and I know the people that have been, uh, David, Greg, for one of them, has been trying to find uh, this location forever. I think they found it. It's a, It was a completely different bar, but it, it looks like a really cool little place that uh, you could go to. But they're listening to music, and the song on there is A Man Named Joe, and so apparently that's their song. Of course. Of course. Ella Basin Goodman. <laughs> The Trogs. Great, isn't it? I don't think they've changed a record on there since Joe and I used to come in here. You came in here a lot, didn't you? Oh, yeah. We came in almost every night. Yep. We didn't have much money, but you know that thing would take a nickel and play a song? We could always play that one. Mm-hmm. Let's hope he comes in here one more time. Yeah. You know, Amanda, um, you never did finish telling me why you got divorced. Really want to know, huh? Pretty nosy, aren't you? Okay. Well, it's no big secret. Um. Well, when Joe got out of law school, he was interested in the emergency aid organization, and it meant constant travel. I just, uh, I didn't think that would be good for the boys. They were too little, you know, six months here, six months there. I really thought it would be better if we were all settled. You wanted to be a housewife. Well, I wanted a home. I wanted for all of us to have a home. But uh, Joe felt that he he really had something to give, so he went ahead and took the job, and I stayed in Arlington. And I guess we were really sort of separated for a couple of years, and and then we finally admitted that it it just wasn't going to work. So life's turned out okay. Yeah, but okay. Wasn't good enough for you. That's like the best way to have her be divorced without having all the drama to it. Like, he was off doing this wonderful thing, helping out people, other people less fortunate. And they they loved each other. They just couldn't make it work. You know what I mean? It was like the easiest, instead of making him like a, a bad guy or her marrying some jerk, you know, it was like a nice, easy way to explain it away. It's pretty smart, I think. I don't yeah. know why they were, or she was reluctant to share that initially in the office. Yeah. She made That's it sound like it was something pretty private. Well, true, but even if she told them then, those are very straightforward reasons. They're not. But, you know, I think it was that she, she felt she failed in the marriage, you know, that, and, and she probably took on a lot of it, even though uh, it's probably equal parts, if not more him than her. And she probably took that on and sees it as a failure. And that she didn't, that she couldn't keep her family together, you know. And the well, one person you don't want to know that you're a failure is the person that you, you know, are hoping to have a future with. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good point. Thank you. Thought <laughs> about this a lot. Not, there wasn't, I don't know, there wasn't a lot of drama behind her reasons, so I can see that though. Yeah. Um, but she made it sound the office like, no, 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 I'm not going to tell you. No. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's too personal. Yeah. But then I love this part because she says. Life's turned out okay, though, huh? And he goes, he goes, yeah, but okay isn't good enough for you. Oh, that's Very really sweet. sweet. And then right then, Joe, Joe walks in and she just senses it. Of course, it's in the script. I know, Greg. Um, but she turns and sees him. And then he's like, okay, just he's bound to be nervous. She goes, I'll, you watch. I'll give you a signal. Don't scare him off. But she leaves her purse there. 
But then it shows up later that she has it. So another little trick of the uh, camera, huh? And he just leaves it there too. <laughs> so they run off. Joe, Joe runs out and Amanda follows after. Lee follows after Amanda, but then Ali Shamba finds them, bumps into Lee. And Lee's kind of caught off guard and he's like, Inspector, what are you doing here? He goes, police work. One of the students at the house said they saw Joe here last night. I'll wait here. And he goes, and why are you here? He goes, I'm thirsty. He goes, why don't you wait for me at the bar right here? I'll be right back. Have yourself a beer, huh? And then he has, he does a lot of uh, getting rid of this guy multiple times. It never seems to work though. He calls over uh, the bartender and says, hey, that guy over there wants to buy a round for, for, for everybody. So then my that... favorite part about the whole episode <laughs> Middle of the day, the bar is packed and everyone's just day drinking. Yeah. Good times. It's college. It's awesome. College life, man. Lee then t- hightails it out of there to try and find Amanda and Joe. And then this is all filmed um, from what I've been told on the um, UCLA campus um, that they filmed all this. The library and all that. So Amanda kind of hides off and then Joe follows down. And then they hug. It's very sweet. I mean, you can tell they really care about each other. And she's telling him, you know, that everybody's worried and that Foster's worried. She's like, come back to the house. And he's like, I can't. That scene was actually filmed on Warner Brothers. Yeah. The one where they're this, standing outside. The, the, it was actually alley. between the bungalows. And the, the, if you look at the backdrop as, as he's walking up and they're hiding, if you look straight back, that's actually the side of a stage. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Dooley's part is off uh, by UCLA's campus. I yeah. know that. Yeah. yeah. And then the library. The library is, yeah. But the, the running back part. Okay. I, I, I want to I wanna say they were trying to cut time. Uh, and because they had a certain amount of time between each episode before they had to put it out. Yeah. And it was right there. And they just set up the scene right there. Okay. That makes sense. And yeah, I do see what you're saying. Uh, when he's coming down the long shot, when he's coming down the alley area. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. where the bungalows were positioned. The production office was just on the other side. Okay, actually. yep, I, I see what you're saying. Well, If I remember correctly. Yeah, it, no, it, it does tef- definitely looks like it. And then Amanda and, and Joe are now in the library, but now Prescott's somehow found them, and he's in there with them. And Amanda, thank goodness for her training, she hears the cocking of the gun and shoves Joe down to the ground, and they take cover, and then the bullets start flying. Those poor books... <laughs> getting shot all up so this is supposedly at georgetown university but it's obviously not and lee hears the gunshots so he comes running as well so now at least there's somebody else in there with a gun one of the good guys and amanda's got her purse though you guys thank goodness heck yeah the bad guy brought it to her exactly <laughs> somebody did didn't they but she's getting him out of there she's totally uh got, got him uh She's running, uh, zigzagging through there to get away from the bad guy, which is great. She wouldn't have been able to do that, you know, two years ago, three years ago. And then uh, Lee's shot, uh, shot at Prescott and he runs off. So then Lee tries to go after him and he realizes he's gone, long gone. And he's, so he starts calling Amanda and then she pops out right on the other side of the ca- counter. <laughs> She goes, come on, you two. They're going to be crawling all over this in a minute. But isn't that interesting? He he says Amanda and doesn't go Mrs. King. Supposedly he just met her, you know, and he's yelling out Amanda. That's a good point. I didn't catch that. Yeah. He supposedly Very just met her. observation. Well, after watching it 8,000 times, Greg, you kind of pick up on things a little bit. Well, did you guys, did you guys see the somersault Prescott made? 
before he did his exit, like he did this huge cartwheel. I, I was just thinking, if you're if if you're at gun battle, wow, somersaults and cartwheels. I was impressed with well, that. Well, Lee used to do them all the time. He did those too. Right. Well, actually, his stunt guy did a lot of the opposing dude stunts as well. Yeah. So. They'd have him wear uh, wigs and stuff, wigs yeah. and whatever to get in there. He did a lot of work. I mean, the guy was super athletic, very impressive. Wow. The, the only way to really avoid gunfire is gymnastics. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Mary Lou good old somersault. Never been shot. Too fast. Too fast. That's funny. Oh, um, and then in the script, this is just a little quick thing. In that last thing we just saw, Lee says, there will be some people here real quick who won't appreciate what we've done to their library. Do you want to explain? What are we waiting for, Mr. and Mrs. King? And then they come over across the counter and leave. So then we're back at Mrs. McDonald's and they're having apparently a teepee party. That was so Animal House. I <laughs> really swear. Was. You know, you see Maybe all that the, was for Martha. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It, and then the bike, the guy riding the bike, it's like trailing on the back of his bike too. <laughs> like when you get one on your shoe. <laughs> I love how random that is, dude on bike. <laughs> Mom, I'm going to be the one with the toilet paper on my bike. <laughs> so now Joe is explaining what happened to Lee and Amanda. And he's like, you know, I got to get him to believe me. And, and she goes, well, of course we believe you. And he goes, if I believe you. He goes, this all starts to make a little more sense, Lee says. Now our shooter will probably fall back and think about it. He's not going to crash a rooming house full of people. He goes, now you two stay inside. There's an inspector Shamba I have to dispose of for the night. He goes, Shamba? He goes, airmail, special just for you. He goes, be careful of him. I think he's in on it. And then Lee says, don't worry, I'll, I'll take care of it. So then Amanda go back to uh, his room and kind of hide out there for a while. But they're definitely holding hands. My second favorite part of the whole episode is coming up. Okay, which part? Just keep going. Okay, okay. The suspense is killing us. <laughs> so now, oh, this must be Wait, it. Jen, Jen goes, the suspense is killing us. <laughs> so Prescott is on the phone at a payphone. So Lexi, a payphone is where they actually <laughs> make... I'm just, I'm just kidding. She's going to kill me tomorrow at work, man. She's going to yell at me. Uh, Taya's told her this like 10 times. <laughs> Every time there's a payphone. Like, I love teasing her about it because it's like, this is a pay phone. <laughs> it's, you take it, you take for granted like all these things from the eighties and then, you know, people, people that grew up just now, you know, growing up now are like, uh, when is that? You know? Well, if you're going to explain to her what a payphone is, explain to her what a nickel is. <laughs> she probably doesn't use coins either. <laughs> So Prescott is on the phone and he's he's telling Foster, Mrs. King's friend is not a filmmaker. No doubt, dude. <laughs> no, he came uh, out with guns blazing. Face it, we're going to have to take King out. He goes, not until they come after us. He goes, that's the only we'll, way we'll get a hold of King. If we take his kids, that's it. We're, con- we're connected. Well, at least he's a little hesitant to hurt you guys, but not much. Yeah, he quickly resolved it. Yeah. Okay, so now Lee is uh, bringing Shamba into his house. I don't understand why he has to bring him there. It's kind of weird. But Shamba's going all into his story about how they kept ordering drinks over and over again. And he's like, oh, how much was it? He goes, 843 greens. And Lee whistles. He goes, I'll get it back for you. He's like, I'm sorry about that. He goes, why don't you relax? And uh, he, he grabs him some milk. 
Yeah, let me pour you a nightcap. My <laughs> yeah. second favorite part of the whole show. Let me pour you a nightcap. Here's some milk. <laughs> now, Greg, you don't do so well in the show with milk because the last episode we did, you left the milk just, you spilled it, used Amanda's note that she left to wipe it up, and then you just left the milk on the out on the counter and you guys took off to go play outside with friends or something. Yeah, I think the writers on the show had a fascination with milk. <laughs> I think you're right. I, I, yeah, I got to say they did. They yeah, because Kate always was drinking milk on the show too. She would yeah. just sit there and, and chug like a big glass. I love, that, I love that Bruce is, you know, this bachelor secret agent. And... But he's got fresh milk. Yeah, not scotch. Gonna you know there's just a six-pack of beer in there. <laughs> that was it. Old pizza or something. So, yeah, so he then takes a pill and drops a pill into the milk. And unbeknownst to Shamba, he's about to uh, get drugged to the gills. And he, he just drops a capsule in. Like, that's going to take a while to... Like, as he's drinking, he's going to be like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pull it out of his mouth. like that is rehypnol. I mean, it's a date rape drug. I mean, I don't know you could wake him up. He was checking the bed and then he's grouping him. I don't know what to do with that. Quick dissolve. Quick dissolve. Quick dissolve. So now we go back to the boarding house. And then they're kind of having, you know, reminiscing a little bit. Joe says, brings back memories, huh? And, she, and she's like, yeah. He goes, oh boy, I sure took the wrong way home this time. Because like almost every episode, they have to get the title of the show in. In some way, shape, or form. He goes, well, you saved our lives in the library. She goes, James Bond movies. He goes, oh, I don't think he's buying it. She goes, it's really a mess. What happened, Joe? He goes, it was a fluke. 900 metric tons of wheat arrived in Estosia. Only it wasn't 900, it was 700. So I did a little investigating and, and I found out it wasn't the first time. Somebody's been doctoring the paperwork. I was on my way to see the prime minister when all hell broke loose. He goes, oh, Amanda, those people are starving and somebody's taking the food out of their mouths. Somebody here. She goes, where's your evidence? He goes, it's all right there. Only I'm all dressed up and no place to go. I'm a lawyer, a paper pusher. I should have stayed out of it. She goes, no, you shouldn't. You did what you thought was right. That's who you are. Aw, now they're holding hands. That's so sweet. Lee comes in and they break apart like they've been doing something wrong or something. She goes, thanks, Mrs. McDonald. And like scoots her on. So... Lee explains that he's got the inspector and he's knocked out cold. And uh, he goes, what's the plan? He goes, I was just explaining to Amanda, I have to match up the invoices with the schedule. And they're at the EAO. So Lee says, okay, you know what you're looking for. Let's go. And Amanda comes with them, which is interesting because supposedly she's just the ex-wife of, of Joe. So it's kind of surprising why they would bring her how they would explain it to him. So they go and he gets on the computer and everything's been erased. So they're covering their tracks for sure, which is not good for him because now he doesn't have any proof. They purged the records, everything I needed to prove my case. My only hope died with the prime minister. He goes, what, Lee says, what about Shamba? He goes, if he's in on it, he's not going to say anything. He goes, he will if we give him a bad enough nightmare. They head over to Lee's apartment to scare the dickens out of, uh, Shamba. I like when uh, he goes, just shake him a little bit. And she goes, Joe doesn't shake anyone, Mr. Stetson. <laughs> she goes, just nudge him a little, sweetheart. When Shamba turns around, Joe's astonished because it's the prime minister. And Lee and Amanda are like, what? They can't believe it either. He's like, I thought you were dead. And he goes, the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. 
which they love this that line, Mark Twain's line, because they've used it like three times in this in the whole series. And Amanda's happy because Joe couldn't have killed the prime minister if he's still alive, so she's happy. You know, Greg, you said you had your favorite part. Well, my favorite part's right here. I would love to have somebody explain to me when Amanda when Lee brings in the coffee from the kitchen, and uh. Amanda walks by. And she totally rubs her arm, her hand right across his back all the way. And it's like, dude, you just met this guy supposedly. And she's like, totally <laughs> like, it's like, here, watch, here comes. That's funny. Yeah. And it's like, you guys aren't hiding it very well that you're, uh, you know each other. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's hilarious. So for somebody she just met, she's awfully friendly. <laughs> I think she had her hand back there so that she didn't bump him because he had hot coffee. I think you're reading something into it. Oh, you know, don't ruin this for me, sir. Do not ruin this. I think that's H- the first time. I think <laughs> I think that's HR Taya talking. They're like, um, excuse me, that's an inappropriate touch. Come to my office, Bruce. That is so not her just making sure that he got it settled down. There's no way. I, it is cute, though, because he goes to give everybody the coffee, and then he gives Prime Minister his, and then the Prime Minister looks at it funny, and, and then takes Lee's instead and drinks that one. <laughs> that was cute. He doesn't trust him now. Right before the scene where they went to uh, the EAO to get those receipts, they have a conversation. It says, she likes the sound of getting ready for action. Amanda says, how will we get in? And and Lee says, just Mr. King and I are going, Mrs. King. That's uh, all this operation calls for. And Amanda says, may I have a word with you, please, in private, Mr. Stetson? And then Amanda is tightly controlled. She leads Lee into the hall, and they have a hushed conference. Amanda says, we have worked together for more than two years. I've helped you take on Russians, atomic bombs, nerve gas, and who knows what. Now you think you're going to take my ex-husband on a black bag job and leave me behind? And he goes, that's exactly what I think. And then first Lee enters the frame and waves someone forward. Joe enters frame, stepping next to him. Lee waves again, and Amanda steps in, looking somewhat smug. Joe sits at the computer terminal, switching it on. (laughs) So she won. And then there's this whole scene where the guard catches them in there. The guard catches them. He goes, hey, you people, freeze. The guard says, I said freeze. Just what do you think you're doing in here? And Amanda, checking gear, says, I'm getting a, a reading, sir. And Lee says, well, it confirms our hypothesis. Poor guy. And before the guard can ask what hypothesis, Lee waves an elaborate plastic ID at him, several badges together. And while he's looking at those, Lee and Amanda pull particle mask over their mouths and noses. Guard says, OK, I give up. What is contamination sweep? Lee waves his sniffer around the guard. It begins beeping rapidly. Amanda says, you've heard of spy dust? The powder the Russians are using on our embassy personnel in Moscow? He says, yeah. Lee says, not just Moscow. Here. Right here. Amanda says, it looks like you stepped in it or rolled in it or something. You're covered head to toe. Lee brings his sniffer closer again. It keeps, it beeps like crazy. It's invisible at first. I hope you've got showers downstairs. The guard getting worried. We've got showers. Lee says, then get in there and scrub, mister. Scrub for your life. And the guard backpedals. I've got to send somebody up to to be with you here. And Amanda says, scrub, you're starting to glow. The guard turns and runs for it. Lee and Amanda takes off their mask and give each other five. Joe steps into the corridor with them, looking downhearted. And then Joe says they purge all the records. It was kind of funny. 
cute little scene they didn't show. It's kind of like when, uh, you know, they just play off each other in other episodes. It's kind of fun. Are your mics working, everybody? Yeah, no, I, they, there were a lot of that. They did a lot of uh, give and take scenes that they had available uh, for the editors for. And there's an adage in directing where you want tape for the floor, only that if you need to rechange it. But one of the things that the interesting thing about cinematography and myself only knowing from really an outside view is that when they cut these things together and they added them, they, they look for those different story dialogues. And Katie was really heavily involved in the post-production, post-editing process. Mm-hmm. So I know she had a lot, but we did a lot of filming and, um, Gave the gave the director and the producers and Katie a lot of different um, choices depending on how things play. That's cool. Um, that's interesting you said that because yeah, she said that she would watch the dailies every every day and that they would record. Right. So the dailies the dailies are just for like you'll have your top three uh, cuts for that scene. Okay. But when when you string it together, that's post production where you actually put all these pieces together. And then what they would do is back then, because it was not, it was not digital, it was analog, they physically, what they call cut tape, and actually put tape around the film and cut these different pieces in and then show them and look at different, you know, you know, different aspects of the, um, the show and to see how they could keep the tempo up or down and kind of add additional uh, drama to it or not. And so in some cases, they just push through. Otherwise, they wanted segue scenes to add a little more uh, texture to the, the, the story being shown. And yeah. Katie was really good at that. There's, there's a real skill doing post-production. Hmm. You know, you've got, you've got your lighting, you've got your film, and then the post-production, I mean, you can make or break a film, even if it's phenomenal actors and a great script, you can crush a film in post-production. Hmm. And that's really where the magic happens is how Absolutely. you cut the tape. Yeah. And Go ahead, Greg. No, I was gonna say, I just agree completely. I I do some digital film work now, and it's everything happens post production, and you know that's why you see a lot of films uh, have a director's cut because they film so much during uh, production, and then they go and the studio maybe has their say or or. They just they can't fit it all. Cut for time or, or yeah. do something like that. And uh, yeah, so there's a lot that, that happens. There's a lot of the story uh, that happens um, or that's filmed that ends up on the cutting room floor that they can then go back and, you know, uh, in some cases go back and, and actually change how a story uh, plays out on screen. And then they'll also do those voiceovers too, like to fill in things where they need, they feel like, oh, we've cut that scene, so we have to fill this little bit in so that the audience knows. Well, also they look they look at the continuity of the story, and one of the things that they notice is that when they see it, and they're like, okay, from an outside's perspective, does it look like we've got something missing? It's cheaper to do a voice in than it is to actually refilm. So in some cases, it's an economic discussion where they say, you know what, let's just voice this in. Or let's move that piece, or let's put this here, put that there. So a lot of the things that you're looking at, and what people, most people misunderstand about production, specifically producers, is you have an X budget, and you have a certain amount of production hours within the day, and you're limited by any number of factors that you may not even see coming. So, for example, in the previous scene where you see uh, uh, Amanda and chasing, uh, uh, you know, her ex-husband 
through that area, it was a, a smarter, because they already had the production time. They were already there. They didn't need to drive the trucks anywhere. They didn't need to right. set up or, or get the uh, on-location fees. It just happens. They film it. They're done. They cut it. And they move it out. And, and that's the whole thing is that, that, that movie production is magic. It's creativity, but it's also operations. It's like, how do you get these things happening in a certain amount of time? Daylight's a key factor. You know, did you get the right people on set? Do you have to move extra? And sometimes they say, look, guess what? We ran, we ran over on this. This production went longer on set or on location. So we have got to cut a couple of other scenes that would otherwise be on set, you know, to, to uh, the post lot. So there's a lot of different uh, considerations when they come into doing uh, production and post-production. Yeah, and Dennis told us that they they always you guys ran always way over, uh, and they would they would say that it was only you know seven days, but it was really eight days. You know they would like yeah, fudge things and, a little and bit. And some long ass days, and that's the other thing is what people don't realize when you know Greg was talking about people you know Katie bringing us into her trailer. That was kind of like her on-set house. I mean, sometimes the set, you get up and start going, you go production, you get up, you have makeup, you have first call makeup, you have to go to wardrobe, and then, you know, they're set lighting and everything else, and that's like at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, and then depending on, then you go from outside scenes to inside production scenes, and you're not getting on, you're not getting done with um, lot production until like 2 o'clock in the morning, and sometimes, you know, when you look at how you're going to do that, you sometimes have to say, you know what, it's just faster for me to fall asleep here and, and be ready for the next morning than to drive all the way back to get an hour's worth of sleep. Yeah. So a lot of that, a lot of that functionality comes from, you know, being able to use your, you know, to be able to use your time wisely. And and honestly, especially if you had to commute back and forth, Greg and I didn't have like the super fancy trailer, so we had to hustle. There were some days that when we went to set, we still had to do our on on set schooling and everything else. There were long days, long days. Yeah, interesting. That's a really cool uh, perspective that we never, you know, we don't get to hear about too much. That's cool. In one scene that wasn't filmed, the, when they were making the coffee, Amanda says, I can't get used to seeing Joe with you here in the middle of a case. It's just not Joe. And Lee says, you mean he's changed? And she goes, no, I have. I think, I think if Joe knew all there was to know, it hurt his feelings. And Lee says, what is there to know? And she says, all the things we've done, places we've been, they've changed me. He still thinks I'm just a housewife. Those kind of interesting little things that got pulled, I'm sure, because of time and not needing, necessarily needing to be in there. But it was kind of an interesting little insight, I thought. Well, the, the pulling part also, when Katie was really adamant that she isn't just a housewife. And anytime you see stuff like that, Katie was resistant to that type of messaging. And she was really trying to push the more independent uh, female archetype. So when you look at that, a lot of those things, these scripts aren't written by Katie, but when she reviews them, she goes, okay, we're not doing that, we're not doing that, we're not yeah. doing that. And just like with anything else, sometimes you have to make a decision for your own character. And as the female lead, she has to make a decision, How? Do, what are the optics on this? What does my character arc look like? Mm -hmm. And she made a lot of those creative decisions and I think it benefited the show. And I think it really showed a very strong female archetype back when there weren't that many of them. For sure. Well, and it ends up that Joe actually makes those observations later on. Yeah. So maybe it actually is stronger coming from him rather than her saying it. 
he's actually recognizing those changes in her. Yeah. Right. And that and that's the foreshadowing, right? And that's the that's the art of storytelling. How do you get the message across without being overly obvious about it? And that's the difference between Eh, it's okay show to hey wow that's really cool it's very subtle a lot of the messaging a lot of the positioning you go back to the scene in the library where she's the one that jumped on joe and pushed him down right okay that i mean there's there's you can unpack that any number of ways but she was a woman of action she was the one that identified the threat she's the one that protected him she showed conscious thought in a crisis when in most female characters at that time were guns fired I'm helpless. I need the man to help me. And you look at the character arc saying, okay, you know what? I've grown as a human. And then there, when you see in the end where Joe kind of underscores that, that car, that character this development, changed, right? it really shows the character arc, which is important because it's not enough for you to say, well, I have grown as a person. It's more telling when the other character, the other foil, if you will, recognize those developments and changes because that really shows a significant, uh, backstory which is important yeah especially because he knows her better than anyone he was married to her for 10 years you know so it, that is a significant person in her life that would recognize it so i think that is important that was him saying it instead of just her recognizing right. it yeah but as but look but let me ask you another question as a, as a mom yourself and as as some of the uh fans out there how would you how would you feel if somebody looked at you and go wow you've really You've really come up in the world. You've really become this amazing, self-assured, confident woman. That's impressive. How many people have wanted to hear that from somebody who may have been in a relationship with them to be recognized for that? Yeah. That goes back. You know, that's a, that's an important part that I think is lost a lot. Yeah. Like you said, I see you. You know. Remember going exactly. back. Like I see you. I I see what you've what you've become. So now it's the four of them talking about you know who's involved. And now they're tying both their perspectives together, Joe and and uh, and uh, the prime ministers, and they're realizing that Shamba was involved and that Foster knows about it as well, and Prescott. So they now know who to go to to see if they're going to take the bait. Lee kind of leads them there. He's like, "You told your suspicions to one person and one person only," and he said, "Foster." And so now they know that. He definitely knew, and now they want to rattle his cage to see if they can get him to uh, come out and, well, how they say it, how do you see if a, a snake's alive? You want to see, you see if it wants to bite you. So kind of boldly, Lee shows up with, Foster doesn't know it, but he shows up with uh, Joe King and the prime minister, and uh, he's threatening to expose him. And so he shows his ID and then leaves the door open a little bit so that the other two gentlemen can join him shortly. Foster's reading through them and says, these are some pretty significant uh, accusations you have here. And uh, he's like, is this just for me or, or what? And he says, actually, I have two names. And then he calls out and Joe King and the prime minister walk through the door pretty smugly. Foster does not look pleased at all. By the look on your face, I see you recognize Joe King and the Prime Minister. He's like, good day, Mr. Stetson. So then the three of them leave. I think it's important to remember that that scene was the reason that that Foster became desperate and authorized the attack on the kids. Yeah. Because otherwise it would have seemed disconnected, almost disingenuous 
that after he's being he pressured. Said, Look, let's you know, let's let's make that. So now you have a desperate guy making a phone call. So you can only imagine that everybody's waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. He's feeling cornered, and so he's called at the school and told Prescott to take the kids. Who's just creepily waiting at a middle school? Yeah, right. Ugh. Kind of odd. Phillips in a seatbelt, but uh. Poor little Jamie was, and he was just sitting practically right up in the front seat. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't notice that. <laughs> I, I was like, mm, very interesting. <laughs> you guys run off, and then uh, Mrs. Dennis comes out and starts to tell Amanda about the private detective she hired. And she's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, he's right inside. So then she follows her in. And then Amanda gets on the walkie-talkie, the phone. I'm not sure exactly what that is, that hybrid. The remote control. The remote control. Lee is with Joe and the Prime Minister. And she's explaining that there's been somebody There's somebody there. And they've uh, been watching the boys. She's uh, waiting for them. And they're, they're not too far behind. How convenient. Um, that they're right near the school. And then they're going to meet her up, meet up with her in a few minutes. So Amanda and Mrs. Dennis are going to split up and try and find the boys. And Amanda just goes right to them. All right, here we go. Jamie does a flip kind of half-assed. <laughs> I was I have to say, Philip does a pretty awesome one. I could never do that. And he, uh, he does go completely off out of the frame. <laughs> he just kept bouncing higher. Yeah, he did. higher and higher. <laughs> you guys look pretty damn cute, I have to say. I I love the fact that he and I are the only ones in the gym on the trampoline. <laughs> yeah, like that when like, there wouldn't be a line else? for that. Prescott comes in and knows he's talking to you guys and and says, "Oh, you know, are you are you the King Boys?" Yeah, and and you're like, "Hey, I'm Philip and I'm Jamie." And then Amanda comes in on the at the other side of the gym, and she's her stomach probably just dropped into her her toes, because now her boys are in the, the clutches of this bad guy. She says, fellas, and then he grabs Jamie around the chest there. Lee comes up behind him and does a somersault and knocks the gun out. You guys hide under the uh, trampoline. And then Joe gets uh, kicks the gun out of the way, which is great. So your dad was a little savior. And you guys take off. Oh, look at that. Garrett grabs you guys and saves you from the area there. That is definitely Bruce's uh, stunt double. Oh, you guys jumped, like, jumped right into your dad's arms. That's really sweet. Okay, so then Lee grabs a rope, and then he knocks down Prescott. Prescott is no match for Lee. He gives him a right, which he's always left-handed, but he always hits, knocks the guys out with a right. That's because um, that's because uh, his stunt double was actually a lefty. And no. Versus, I'm sorry. Uh, Bruce, Bruce is a lefty. lefty. No, uh, his but, stunt double was a righty. But Bruce knocked him out with the right. It was Bruce hitting him. Like, you know, oh, was it, was, it? it was up. Yeah. yeah, it was completely up close on him. That I always want to call him Shamba now, but the prime minister comes over and shakes his hand. He's like super excited. Cause it's like pretty exciting probably for him. And then there's a really uh, interesting picture that, you know, it's Joe and Amanda both holding you guys you know, to them. It's very picturesque, you know, a family. And then Lee kind of just watches on a little bit sadly, I think. Don't you guys? It just seems a little, a little bit. Yeah. Probably hurts a little, a little bit. bit. But Amanda is very appreciative her her look that she gives. And then we have the tag. So Amanda and Dottie are planting flowers, yellow flowers, of course, a nod to her mom. And then uh, the guys are just coming back from what appears to be an Orioles game and with uh, with Joe. 
And then Dottie rushes them off. I still don't like Dottie's hair here. It's way too short. She seems to want to match up your mom and dad back together again there, guys. Yeah, she, that was part of the story arc in the beginning was the matchmaking. With Dean. And then Joe asks her if she wants to go get some pizza, and she says she'd love to. So they end up back at Dooley's. This is a very sweet. I think it's kind of that moment of him finally seeing her as as you know moving on and and going on beyond herself doing bigger and better things recognizing that and uh he says whatever they are they suit you and then he asks if she wants to uh not doesn't want to go back like and she says no she wants to move forward do you guys think that that's him asking if she if they have a chance or no maybe i think it was more to do with you know would you like your life simpler? Because he obviously knows now she's a secret agent. He gets it. I mean, it's pretty obvious at this point what she is. He's like, would you ever want your life to go back? And she's like, no, I move forward. And then she made a, a further comment saying, I, I like where things are going. And, and and then when you see that they, they cut scene to, to Lee looking at her, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's kind of a prelude to something special is happening, something special is going on. And you look at the different segments throughout the episode where there's that, you know, Lee comes in and she feels almost like she's cheating on him, you know, with her ex. And she wants Lee to know that she can be a compassionate person and be a, a, a responsible mother. But at the same time, she's not there to drag her baggage, right? I mean, how many people go into a new relationship, somebody they're spe- feeling special towards, and the last thing you want to do is look like they've got three steamer trunks full of, full of baggage. <laughs> right? Let's be honest, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh... And so I think that it's important from the story art perspective to see her not only as an independent woman, but more importantly, she's making choices. She's not running from something. She's moving towards something. And I think it was very important in the dialogue that they used specifically towards the end where they said moving towards something. Yeah, she said it's going to be a great future. Right, right. These are purposeful movements that she's directing, that she's in charge of. Yeah. And again, it shows that she's the master of her own destiny. Yeah, no, I like that. Uh, One uh, kind of very dark uh, thing in the script that didn't make it on the show, when Lee says you can move on Foster to Francine over the little walkie-talkie thing, what happens, it says, exterior Brian Foster's estate, day, we hear a single gunshot and then fade out. yeah. Damn, that's dark. Francine taking him out. No, I think it was that he was uh, shot himself, that he killed himself. Mm -hmm. No, I'm gonna disagree with that. I'm gonna no, say Francine was an assassin. <laughs> I'm say no, Francine. because knock in the back door. Because when I said in the in the film version, he says Francine, you can move on on Foster. That was in the film version, but on the script, it just it goes from them capturing him, uh, capturing uh, Prescott, to then we hear a single gunshot at Foster's place. The agency's not there, so it's I'm like. It went kind of dark. (laughs) All right. I'm sure Martha would love that. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think the ending is very sweet. How I loved how they split the screen between Amanda and Lee and that they were like, they were making eye contact and they both saw each other. Maybe that goes back to that theme of, I see you. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you gotta, again, you know, Lee is this international, you know, sexy spy guy. 
and he's looking at her as an equal. Remember, half half the scenes were all about you're not telling. We, we've done all these things together. I'm gonna go anyways. Right. And then she's able to then again remember when we made it. Like, when's the first time you get to go to a high school reunion and you get to say, hey, look, I'm the director of HR or I'm I'm chief of engineering or something along those lines to somebody that used to mean something to you that may or may not have really got who you were at the time. Like, how yeah. many people are in a relationship or been exposed to? other people's thoughts of less than what they actually were, right? And so it's like, wow, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you would accomplish that. Wow, I knew you were smart, but I didn't know you would go there. And so ultimately the story arc is showing that Amanda can look towards her future without necessarily being nasty about her past. Magnanimous, graceful, leadership. And these are things that show a classy approach to evolution. Yeah, classy. I think that's a good point on that one. Does anybody know why Lee, like, why Lee shows up at the bar? Oh, well, it looked like he was taking care of the tab because he said he would take care of the tab oh. to, to Shamba at the time. And then he's he, creeping. He, <laughs> or creeping. He's stalked her. He creeping. He is a spy. His chick, his chick is out with her, her ex, man. If you he's gotta have a stalker, I wouldn't mind that one as a stalker, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, if I have to have a stalker, I'll take that one for sure. Uh, Taya's true colors are coming out. Bruce can stalk me any day. He can stalk all he wants. Wow. It's once again time for Dottie's bookshelf, and she did not disappoint for this episode. Since this is a fan favorite, there were many to choose from. Our first recommendation is called The Little Green-Eyed Monster, written by Lainey Sullivan in April of 2010 and has about 6,000 words. In this story, Joe and Amanda flirt with getting back together and Lee is none too happy. Our second recommendation is called All the Way Home by Mary and was written in May 2000 with about 5,700 words. This author painted a picture for us of how they thought things went after Amanda saw Lee at Dooley's. Our third and final bonus recommendation is called The Wrong Way Home, Extended Ending by the Dragoness 821, written in August 2016 with about 2,000 words. This is a slightly AU story, placing Lee and Amanda's first kiss just at the end of this episode. Be sure to check out these stories on fanfiction.net, but we'll also share the links on our website at mkcpodcast.com in the show notes. It's time for videos from the video vault that we think reflect the episode The Wrong Way Home. This episode allowed us to understand more about Amanda's mystery ex-husband and why we haven't seen or heard about him for two seasons. We find out that Amanda is still very connected to Joe, but also how much she has grown in her role at the agency and, of course, in her relationship with Lee. We have two videos that illustrate these themes. The first video is based on the song What About Now by Daughtry, and the video is put together by Love S&K. This video was specifically created for this episode and Joe's sudden reappearance in Amanda's life. It tells of Lee's fear that the growing closeness he has shared with Amanda may be taken away. Dun, dun, dun. The second video was also put together by Love SMK and is set to the song Can't Hold Back by Survivor. It is also told from Lee's point of view and shows how emotionally he has grown closer to Amanda over the years. We also have two videos in honor of Paul and Grace's visit. The first video is called The Boy's Perspective. It was developed to celebrate the release of season two of SMK on video. It is a great summary of some of the classic scenes that made Philip and Jamie such a special part of the show. 
The video clips were put together by Moxie's SK Bids. The second video is based on a song that we think represents the experience of all the actors in the series. We are sure they look back on these times with fondness as they all came together as an SK family. The song is These Are the Days by 10,000 Maniacs, and the video was put together by TJ SK LVR. These videos can be found on YouTube, and we have provided links on our website at mkcpodcast.com. This wraps up our discussion of Season 3's The Wrong Way Home. We want to offer a huge thank you to Greg and Paul for taking the time to share your youthful memories and adult perspectives on not only this episode, but the show overall. One of the best things about Scarecrow Mrs. King is its continued relevance, thanks in part to the original show, and even more so to the people like you both who offer fresh insights and stories along the way. So thanks again. As always, we appreciate our listeners, and as a reminder, if you haven't already, you can check us out on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, and request to join our private Facebook group, Mrs. King's Chronicles. The next episode we'll discuss in our revised season three order is Playing for Keeps. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 talking to you all and Greg as always brother thank you yep love you man love you too